I have the privilege of introducing you to the book of Habakkuk, and it's so hard not to go through the whole thing because it is such a great book, and it is so relevant to the time that we are living in. In John chapter 9, Jesus was walking with his disciples when they came across this blind beggar. And the disciples looking at this blind beggar said to the Lord, who sinned that this man was born blind? Was it his parents or was it this man? You see, we're always trying to find a cause, someone or something to blame for injustice or hardship, suffering. We're always looking around. Years ago, and I mean years ago, when I was in elementary school, I was playing handball, and the ball missed the backboard, and it hit one of the attendants on the playground, right in the head, smacked her heart. And I remember she folded her hands like this and closed her eyes and just began to yell, who did it? Who? And I think sometimes when trouble smacks us on the head, we tend to close our eyes, fold our arms, and begin to shake our heads and yell, who did it? Who did it? I know my oldest child, when she was a toddler, if she got hurt in any way, she would look for the closest person and go and pull their hair. She just figured that they had something to do with her pain and suffering. After all, they were standing close. So when we, when we saw her fell, our reaction was to back away. Let my dad handle it because he didn't have any hair. But we tend to ask when we see suffering, we look for blame, we look for a cause. And we ask the question, don't we, why? Why? Now, I think some of you have asked why in your secret heart, but maybe you're afraid. You're afraid to say why, because you're afraid a lightning bolt's going to just burn you up. Or maybe you're afraid it's going to open a Pandora's box of doubt. Like if I begin to really ask why, then it's going to just bring havoc into my life. But do you know why is a very legitimate question? And it is asked by believers over and over and over again in the Bible. The psalmist asks why. The disciples asked why. Martha asked why. Mary asked why. It is a very legitimate answer. And it's an answer that God's okay with. It's interesting to note that the book of Habakkuk wrestles with the question, why? Habakkuk, the name, actually has two meanings. And it means to wrestle and to embrace. And we see both of these things happening in Habakkuk. Of course, it depends upon the context whether it means wrestle or embrace. But in this book of Habakkuk, we see the prophet wrestling with the question, why? Why did God allow it? Why? 
And it's a question that we all must wrestle with. We all must wrestle with this question. You see, God, God wants to speak into our lives. And when we ask why, it opens up this dialogue so that God can speak into us. God does not want us accepting easy answers or antidotes. And there is not an easy answer to the question of why. And this question of why begs for deeper understanding and revelation. Habakkuk not only wrestles with this question, but he learns to embrace God's ways, God's will, God's wisdom, and God's word. That's what happens as he wrestles with the why. As Warren Wearsby, maybe that's why I'm using all these W's. As Warren Wearsby said, God does not give explanations. He gives revelations. And that's what we see in this book of Habakkuk. To Habakkuk's question of why, there is not an explanation, but a revelation. I was reading this morning in my private devotions. I was reading John chapter 11. And there, Mary and Martha send a note to Jesus. And they say, Lord, the one whom you love, Lazarus, is sick. And we're told that when Jesus received that message, he delayed He delayed his coming for two days. It was a one-day journey so that by the time he finally made it to Bethany, where Mary and Martha were, Lazarus had already died. But Jesus said, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God. It's the same answer that he gives the disciples in John 9. This isn't about who sinned. This is about the revelation of the glory of God. Yes, God has allowed pain and suffering and sickness, but he wants to give us a greater revelation of himself through these things. Habakkuk lived during the time of King Josiah, who was a good king, and his son Jehoiakim, who was a bad king. Now, Josiah had gone through, he was the last of the good kings of Judah. And he had gone through and he made these amazing reformations in Judah. He had literally cleaned up the land. He got rid of the prophets of Baal. And the corruption had been so great that even the courtyard of the temple had booths for prostitution. Can you imagine what that would be like? Like if you came here and you saw a whole bunch of tents set up and like boy or girl, I mean, it's that kind of corruption. Like you'd say, how could this happen to Calvary Chapel? And Habakkuk was looking at the temple of God and saying, God, how could you allow this in your temple? Well, Josiah cleared it out. He cleared out the prophets of Baal. He led the people publicly to a new commitment to God the Father the God of Israel. This is before Jesus' revelation. And there was this huge revival in Israel and they began to celebrate the Passover. But then Josiah, Josiah hears that the Pharaoh Necho 
is, is, in, is crossing over Megiddo, the land of Judah, actually the land of Israel, to go fight the king of Assyria. And for some crazy reason, Josiah gets it into his head. He's only 40-something years old. No, that's not right. You know, he didn't say, Mother, may I? I didn't give him permission to cross the land. And this godly king does not seek the Lord, but gathers together the armies of Judah and sends a message to King Necho, the Pharaoh. Pharaoh Necho sends him back a message and says, don't try to fight me. I'm doing the Lord's business. I know what I'm doing. This has nothing to do with you. I'm just crossing through. But Josiah had gotten his dander up and he went out to meet Pharaoh Necho and he was killed in battle. So young. Then his son takes over and all the godly reforms that Josiah brought in were all reversed. And not only were they reversed, but Judah, the nation of Judah became worse, more decadent, more idolatrous, more evil, more unjust than they had ever been in the history of Judah. No doubt Habakkuk was looking at all this saying, Lord, why? Why would you allow this? When I read in 2 Kings about Josiah's death or 2 Chronicles, I feel the same. Why? Why? He was so young. He was such a great king. He was doing so many great things for the land of Judah. We're told when he heard The law of the Lord, he began to cry and his heart was tender and he went to obey everything that God said. In fact, it says that before Josiah or after Josiah, there was no king that served the Lord with all his heart. And yet God allowed him to be drawn into this battle, a battle that he had no business in and allowed him to perish in this battle. And allowed his son to take over. So in chapter 1 of Habakkuk, you will find the prophet Habakkuk wrestling with the big why question. He will say that he cried out to the Lord. And this word cry in Hebrew means to scream, to lament loudly. You know, when tragedy happens... I've heard people say, why, why, why? Almost scream it loudly. Why? It is a word of passion from someone who is distraught over what he sees, what he feels. Habakkuk then describes the violence, the evil deeds, Misery, destruction, the arguing, the fighting, the injustice. And he says, the wicked outnumber the righteous and justice has become perverted. Can you relate? Do you think we live in these times? Do you think justice is perverted? You know, I hate to say this, but the only righteous judge out there seems to be Judge Judy. I don't know. She's not real nice. 
shut up, but she seems to be just. In times like these, the times we live in, with the choices of candidates that we have for the presidency of the United States, we tend to say, why? Why, why does God allow it? Have you ever asked, why does God allow little children to die in the womb by abortion? Why does God allow children to be seduced and violated? Why does God allow murder to take place? Why does God allow Christians to be martyred? Why does God allow ISIS to be an organization? Why does God allow tragedy to happen, good people? Why does God allow godly men to die young and wicked men to live to old age? You know, the question of most atheists is, if God is good, then why is there suffering? Now, if you were truly an atheist, you wouldn't ask that question. It seems, though, that everyone, everyone, whether believer or unbeliever, wants to know why. And this is what Habakkuk wrestles with in chapter 1. And this is a question that either you have wrestled with, you are wrestling with, or you will wrestle with. But I want you to know the place to take your wrestling, the place to take your questions is exactly where Habakkuk took his. He took his lament, his crying right to God. And he poured out his heart, his complaint. This is the right thing to do. Take it to God. We can pour out our hearts to God. We can tell him about all the injustice, all the hard times, everything we don't understand. In fact, Psalm 62, 8 says, trust in the Lord at all times. Pour out your heart to him. He is a refuge. You know, God already knows the questions in your heart. To suppress it only causes anxiety. And it doesn't cause you to grow in faith. In fact, It weakens your faith when you suppress these questions and you don't bring them to God. God has a word for you. God loves and values persistence. We find that over and over again in Luke chapter 18. Jesus talks about this widow who wearied the judge with her continually continual coming. And Jesus said that we are to be persistent in prayer. You know, kind of like your kids when they were little and they'd say, where are we going? The market. Why? Because we need to buy things for dinner. Why? Because we need to eat. Why? Because if we don't eat, we'll die. Why? Because our body needs food. Why? Because God created our bodies to need food. Why? I don't know. But God's okay with all the whys. You can take it. He's got, he's ready for you. And he wants you to ask. 
He doesn't mind us telling him the same story over and over and over again. Doesn't that bless you? Because doesn't your husband go, not this again? Don't you have a friend you could talk to? Why do you think you have a cell phone? Honey, they're not answering. They, they, they've heard it too many times. They stopped. But God doesn't get tired of it. You know how like we've got that story that we tell and then we remember a detail we've left out? And we're like, wait, I left out a detail. You know, we're doing speed dial to all our friends and they're not answering. God answers. God always answers the phone. He always picks it up. Yes, I already knew that detail. In fact, I know details you've left out. In fact, I know the details of what you did in that circumstance, but I don't want to talk about that, God. Let's talk about others. He doesn't mind hearing the same request repeated in every prayer. He doesn't mind that we keep coming to him with the same issue. In fact, he wants us to be persistent in prayer. God answers Habakkuk. And as Wiersbe said again, it's not an explanation, but it's a revelation. God declares to Habakkuk what he is going to do. Now, let me tell you this. As you begin to pray, you're going to get revelation, right? But it's not always going to be the revelation you want. Just warning you. For Habakkuk, when God gave him this revelation, this answer, it raised more questions for Habakkuk than he even had before. It's like the three-year-old in the car again. Why? 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 In fact, God told Habakkuk, I'm going to use a more wicked nation than Judah, the Babylonians, to come in. This is part of my plan. And Habakkuk said, what? Why? Why, Lord, would you let someone even more evil than Judah come in? But God is going to explain just a tad his revelation and the why. You see, let me just give you a hint. When you let evil into the door, you make yourself vulnerable for all evil. And sometimes God, sometimes God uses giving us everything we want, glutting our soul to make us sick of that thing that we've been craving. We're told this in the Psalms, that he gave them the desires of their appetite, but sent leanness into their soul. You know, when I lived in England, I made barbecue chicken pizza, and I loved it. I craved it. So every other night, I made barbecue chicken pizza. My English friends loved my barbecue chicken pizza, and they would say, Cheryl, when we come over to your house, will you make us that? delicious or gorgeous barbecue chicken pizza. And I said, I would be delighted to. You know, I can't even look at barbecue chicken pizza now. I tend to do the same thing. Right now I'm on a hamburger kick and I know that I'm going to pretty soon be like, not another hamburger. I wish that would happen with garlic cheesy bread, but it hasn't yet. But I tend to just eat so much of the thing I like that pretty soon I lose appetite for that very thing. And that's what God's going to do with Judah. My first year of college, I was dying to live a compromised life. 
I remember that. I just wanted to get away from my mom and dad. They were, they were so godly, you know, and they were watching me. And I remember going away to a Christian college because I felt, felt like that would put a moratorium on, on what I wanted to do. I just wanted to kind of push the parameters, just test the waters. And I, I felt like I hadn't been able to. I don't know why Chuck was my dad and Kay was my mom, why I couldn't push the parameters at home. But I remember going to college and I began to push those parameters. And I remember being attacked by every type of evil imaginative. And I realized that in pushing away those parameters, I had pushed away the protection of God. And I was now vulnerable to evil I hadn't even imagined was out there. And you know what it did? It caused me at 19 years old to come back home from college and to completely dedicate my life to the Lord. Falling on my knees, I said, God, not my will, but yours. Even when I don't will your will, do your will. Even when I don't want your will, do your will anyway. Ignore me and do what's best. I give you everything. And my life changed from that day forward. A little evil, a little compromise with sin leaves us vulnerable to greater sin. Every evil allowance pushes back more and more the hedge of the protection of God. You know, you've all heard of high-risk lifestyles. Habakkuk does not so much tell us why God allows evil, but how we as believers are to handle the why question, the evil, the injustice, the perplexities of life. In chapter two, Habakkuk says, all right, God, I don't understand why or what you're doing, but I'm going to get my parchment ready and my pen ready, and I'm going to wait to hear from you. And in chapter two, Habakkuk learns to wait on the Lord and how to hear and receive his word. Because that's what God wants to do. He wants to give us a revelation and then he wants us to wait on him, to receive his word, his will. Because Habakkuk is actually saying, all right, Lord, here's your plan. What do you want for me? In this time that we live, what does God want for you? Well, I'll tell you this much. He wants you to get your parchment ready, your pen ready to open his word and to search his word out, to hear him speak to you through his word of what he has for you in this place at this time. In verse four, 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 that's um, another way of saying four in my prayer language. In Habakkuk 2, Four is a pivotal verse, a verse that is so important that it's repeated three times in the New Testament because this is what God will require of Habakkuk. This is what will bring Habakkuk into the plans of God, and this is what God wants from Habakkuk. And he tells Habakkuk, the just shall live by 
faith. What does God want? He wants you to trust him in these times. It's only trusting him that will safeguard you, protect you, and make you prosperous, spiritually prosperous. During these times of injustice and perplexity, the just or those who would be just or the righteous become righteous by living by their faith. This is how it happens. He is not to be like others who trust in themselves, their possessions, their armies, their nations, their friends, their dreams, their delusions or lies. The just or the righteous become just, justified before God, qualified before God by faith in God. By saying, Lord, I don't understand these circumstances, but I want to be in your will. I want to be in your plan. I know that you always have a good plan. I know that you have promised that all things work together for the good of those that love the Lord and are called according to his purposes. In Romans 1.17, Paul repeats this verse to show us what righteousness is before God. And we find that righteousness is when we trust the cross of Jesus Christ to forgive our sins and to give us life. We trust in what Jesus has done for us as qualifying us as righteousness or just. Galatians 3.11 tells us how we live, how the righteous who are found righteous in Jesus Christ, how we are to live, how we are to conduct our lives. We are to live it by and in the spirit of God. And Hebrews 10.38 begins to explore what that faith is that we hold on to. And let me just give you a clue. That faith is who God is, what God has done, and the promises in his word. That's the faith. In Luke 22, verses 31 through 32, Jesus tells Peter, Peter, Satan has asked for you by name that he may sift you like wheat. In other words, Peter, Satan wants to absolutely destroy you until your little tiny grain, till there's nothing substantial in you at all. But he says this, but I have prayed for you. Now that's awesome enough to know that the Lord is interceding and praying for us just as he prayed for Peter. But I want you to notice in Luke chapter 22 exactly what it is that he prays for Peter. Now, Peter will go through the darkest, darkest time of all of human history. The time when Jesus was in the tomb the time when the stone was rolled over the door of the tomb. It's a time of questioning. Why? 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 It's a time of darkness. It's a time of distrust. We're told that the disciples met behind locked doors. It's a time of unparalleled fear. It's a time of disillusionment because the religious leaders did this to their own Messiah. 
And there is something that Peter will need for this dark, dark time. When he watches the Son of God crucified. When he himself denies the Son of God three times. What will Peter need? What is that thing that Jesus prays for Peter? I have prayed for you that your faith will not fail. You see, the just will live by faith. Everything else in Peter would fail. His resolve, his strength, his stamina, his reputation, his boasting, everything that he thought he was would fail. But there was one thing, even though he denied the Lord, even though he forsook him in the garden, there was one thing that would not fail. And that was Peter's faith in Jesus Christ. And Jesus knew it wouldn't fail because he prayed for Peter. And he said, and when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. Jesus knew that Peter would fail. He knew that he would fall flat on his face. But you see, it wasn't Peter's resolve. It wasn't Peter's perfection. It wasn't Peter's strength that ever qualified him as a disciple. That wasn't why Jesus went after him. In fact, when Jesus called Peter, he already knew Peter's nature. He already knew what would happen, but he called him in anyway. He anointed Peter. He used Peter for his glory. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. Peter, I have a plan for you. And it has nothing to do with you and everything to do with you simply believing in me. And when we believe in God, when the just, when the just, when the righteous live by their faith, it opens the door for us to be part and parcel in the great work of God, in the plan of God that he's going to do. No, we don't understand, but we trust that God has a plan. We trust that God is good and he will not leave us nor forsake us that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? This is the trust and the faith. Faith is our absolute trust in God. His good character, his good plans, his good word. In Habakkuk 3, the prophet now has moved to a place of embracing God's word and God's will. And this brings him to this place of praise. And he begins to extol the goodness and the character of God. You know, praise bolsters our faith because it reminds us of who God is and what he has already done for us. And not only that, but in Psalm 16, it tells us that God inhabits the praises of his people. When we begin to praise, God draws near and we feel his presence with us. And this This is what will get us through the injustice, the why questions, these times of perplexity is when we begin to praise the Lord. We're all in. We are now praising God. Praise is a declaration of our faith. 
It's a way to sing it. It's a way to move what we know in our mind to our heart and make a declaration and speak it, confess it out so it will become a part of the warp and woof of our being. Don't you want that kind of faith? That's the kind of faith that God wants to work in us. We live in a time of fear and perplexity. In fact, Jesus described the time that we're living in as a perplexity of nations. We have national problems, not just here in the United States, but in Canada and in Mexico and uh, and across the Atlantic in England and in France and in Sweden and in Europe and in all the world. There are problems. And you know what? I think men and government and bureaucracy are only making those problems worse. And I won't tell you why, because you already know. They're just complicating things. They're just increasing crime. What do we do in these times? What are we to do? We are to go to God with every why. We are to wrestle with the living God with why. Go to him, wrestle. Jacob wrestled with God and he came out a better man for it. We are to take this to God and then we are to embrace what God has for us. And this embracing will bring us faith and lead us to praise. No doubt you have grappled or will grapple or are grappling Grapple, grapple, grapple with the why question. Where to go and what to do with your why questions. Habakkuk will take you right to the throne of God. Habakkuk chapter 1 will take you to God and show you God's plan and his revelation. Chapter 2 of Habakkuk will tell you how you can become a part, a productive part, of God's plan through faith. And chapter three will move you from fear, disillusionment, grief, to great, greater, and the greatest of faith. And it's this faith that will move mountains. It's this faith that will look out and not see the armies of the Armenians, but will see the chariots of fire on the hills. It's this faith that will open our eyes. It's this faith that will bring us into all the great things God has. Habakkuk will strengthen your faith and will instruct you on how to thrive in the worst of times and see God's great and eternal plan. But not only that, to have a deeper revelation of God himself. Are you ready for Habakkuk? Good. Some of you said yes. Some of you said, but that's all right. Because Habakkuk is ready for you. You want to stand up and let's pray. Lord, I want to pray for my sisters because some of them are wrestling with some pretty deep personal whys. And Lord, I thank you that you're big enough. You're big enough. You're great enough. You're loving enough. You're faithful enough. You're strong enough. You're resilient enough to answer every single why and to answer it in love.
Lord, you said in your word that when we lack wisdom, you do not upbraid, but you give it freely to us. You give it to us abundantly. Lord, here are your daughters. You love them so much. Lord, I pray for a greater impartation of faith in each of them. I pray that they would realize that they are qualified by simply believing in you and not by their works or by their perfection, but because they have chosen to put their trust in you. Lord, I pray that they would realize that they have a God who is for them, that wants to hear from them. Lord, that you will bring them into your will, that you have a call for their lives. May they be earnest to seek you and enter that call. And may they find the glory of the call you have for their lives. And Lord, I pray that you would move us to greater praise. Lord, that we would lift up our hands and say, you are good, you are God, and you are worthy of all our trust. Lord, bless these, your daughters, in Jesus' name. Amen.